Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This episode of the Bearstalk Underground is brought to you by Sports Drink. Your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or in social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in Sports Drink. Spelled like Sports Drink, but without the vowels. So S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let out the funk. <laughs> What's up, guys? Same place opponents in the books. Now it's time to open up the chapter where we talk about the AFC East opponents for our beloved Chicago Bears in 2022. We got the Jets, the Dolphins, the Bills, and the Patriots. Uh, actually flipped that. The Patriots and then the Bills. That's the order that we're going in. First up, the New York Jets um, and our good friend Michael Nania, who's been on the show um, I think once or twice at least since we've uh, since we played the uh, I think we played the Jets twice since I started doing the uh, interviews and the opponent previews and um, I believe this is the second or third time that Michael has been on the show but uh, he's from the Cool Your Jets uh, podcast and uh, we talk a lot about the the Jets you know year number two under Robert Sala, year two for Zach Wilson. Um, they were ravaged by injuries, as you hear Michael tell us uh, during the uh, interview. They're getting a lot of people back healthy, not to mention they had a very successful, one of the more highly touted drafts uh, of 2022. They made some uh, significant signings uh, in free agency. So the Jets are poised to make a move. But we also talk about that. Uh, as well, you know, it's like all due respect, everything that you've done, the Jets are poised to make a move, but it's still the Jets. So will they pull it off or will being the Jets get in the way, uh, you know, is, is uh, something that we talk about uh, as well. So um want to jump right in uh, to the interview. Very excited to get started with the AFC East. Some very interesting uh, football teams. We got obviously we got the Jets, and next we got the the Dolphins on Thursday. And Brian Miller from the FinFanatic dot uh, will be joining us. Uh, then we have the Patriots and the Bills, and uh, then we move on to the NFC East with the Cowboys, the Commanders, the um, Giants, and the Eagles. So two very very interesting uh, divisions. A lot of winnable games. I feel like in this uh, in the in those in those eight games. Uh, right there, you know, in the NFC East, maybe the Eagles, uh, you know, you'd have to give the edge to the Cowboys with them going 12 and five and everything uh, last year. But the Commanders and the Giants, those are winnable games uh, for the Bears on the AFC East. Obviously, it would be a winnable game against the Jets. Uh, I think it's it's winnable against the Dolphins, even though history would dictate otherwise. But, you know, the Patriots, eh, you know, maybe. But, you know, you have to give the edge to the Bills. So, I mean, in those eight games, I think you have at least four sure victories or four games we should win. And then you have in total maybe six maybes 
uh, a total that you know in those in those eight games. I mean, that's that'll get you halfway to a playoff berth uh, right there. So uh, just have to manage against the uh, the Falcons, the Texans, and the Niners, and then uh, wade our way through the division to see if we can get to uh, eleven or something like that to uh, make a playoff run in year one uh, of Eberflus. So, but um, you know, but it's interesting, and and the fun thing about this is that you're always looking through 2022 through the lens of last season where, you know, things are different now, players have moved around, new coaching staffs, a la the Bears, uh, and things like that. They're getting a lot of people back that weren't available to help them, as in the Jets uh, and everything. So things could be completely different in 2022 as they were in 2021. So it's it's always kind of hard to pinpoint, especially teams like the Bears and the Jets, where so many changes were made. The first question, you know, is are those are those uh are those changes going to work? Are they going to be able to gel and make it happen? I mean, year one with Nagy hit the ground running twelve and four record, you know, but obviously year two and three and four were virtual disasters, and that's why we're year one in the Eberflus era uh right now. But uh, you know the the new coach, the new vibe. Uh, you know changes, and people people can't see us coming because everything is different now. Maybe we catch a few people off guard, win a few games that we shouldn't, and make another playoff run out of the gates. It's a matter of sustaining the sustaining the success if we can pull it off. So. Anyway, let's go ahead and get into it. It's myself and Mike Nania from the Cool Your Jets podcast previewing the 2022 New York Jets here on the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. Hang up the telephone. I hear the dial tone. out loud. Now that we are finished with our same place opponents, we move on to our AFC East uh, opponents. And up first are the uh, unfortunate last place finishers. Uh, in 2021, but a team that uh, had a heck of an offseason and, and, and might be onto something in year number two in the New York Jets. And here to help us preview these 2022 Jets from the Cool Your Jets podcast, it is Mike Nania. Mike, welcome back to the show, man. It's been a while. Yeah, thanks for having me. I mean, since the last time I was on, the Jets have gone through a, an, an entire era and moved on to another one. So uh, it's <laughs> definitely been a while, but uh, it seems like uh, things are starting to go in the right direction was Todd Bowles still the last still the coach in 2018 when we talked last yeah he okay was. so, so I mean, look, the have gone through a whole nother coach and are on to the third one wow okay that. yeah I was like that when you mentioned that I was like wait a minute you're right it's like we're it's like we we saw the end of Todd Bowles the uh the unfortunate Adam Gase uh I mean, I think you guys did you did you know from the beginning with that press conference and whatever the hell was going on with his eyes in that press conference that you guys uh, might be in trouble there? I mean, I think most of us knew that the Jets would be in trouble from the moment we saw the news pop up that it was going to happen. That was just the icing on the cake. Uh, I mean, we tried to rationalize it, come up with reasons to be optimistic, but it was uh, it was pretty much doomed from the start. Right, so he was in and out, and now we've moved on to Robert Sala, a promising young defensive coordinator from the uh, 49ers. Uh, year one was, you know, another reboot uh, for you guys. You, you're picking second overall. You take Zach Wilson, the quarterback out of um, – he was from BYU, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yep. okay. From uh, from BYU. It, it's, after a while, you forget where these guys went to college. Some of them, you know, this, that's one of them, I guess. But um, – 
you get with with uh, with Wilson there, and uh, full steam ahead uh, with him. He spent some time uh, injured, but finished strong. I, I read that he had like nine touchdowns, two interceptions in the last like seven games uh, of the season. So he had a solid finish to his uh, rookie year. Uh, went four and thirteen uh, last year. Had some really interesting wins. Though you, you, the first win of the year, week number four, with a, an overtime win over the Titans, and then uh, a few weeks later, you you beat the Bengals at home. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com/slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Uh, 34 to 31, you know, not knowing at the time you just put a put an L on the uh, future AFC champs. But, um, you know, those those were some impressive wins, even though they took place kind of early on in the season last year. Yeah, for sure. It was definitely an, an interesting first season of the Robert Sala era. I mean, um you know, I think injuries were a huge part of it as well. And it was overall it was always intended to be a transitional type of year. There were no playoff expectations. Um, it was just about ingraining the new culture of Salah with Zach Wilson and the many new additions uh, that they had both on the roster and on the coaching staff last season. Um, and injuries were a huge part of, you know, the overall lack of team success that they had. Ty Beckton missed essentially the entire season. Carl Lawson missed the whole year. Marcus Joyner. Um, there were a ton of injuries. The second half of the season, no Corey Davis, no Elijah Moore, like Carver missed some time. So in terms of the overall lack of team success, I think they probably got a win or two from all the players that were lost. Um, but there were definitely, you know, it was still seen that this roster has some cracks in it and that there is still a long way to go from a talent perspective until they're able to compete. But obviously this off season, they were able to address a lot of those holes and hopefully that plays out in a positive way, but in terms of Zach Wilson, it was a rough start for him, for sure, and he had, you know, that great game against the Titans in week four, but other than that, first six games, very shaky, a lot of turnovers, accuracy woes, then had mid-season injury with his PCL, and, but then when he came back, he did show some sizable progress, and he still wasn't lighting the world on fire Mm -hmm. in terms of stats or explosion or anything, but he took much better care of the ball. He was operating within the structure of the offense much more efficiently. He was more confident. Um, accuracy was, was improved. It still wasn't razor sharp, but he did sort of get rid of some of the gifts that he had earlier in the season where he would, you know, miss the screen pass, things like that. He mostly eliminated that down the stretch and looked a lot more confident and comfortable. So it was a step forward for him in the second half of the season. And overall, to recap the season, I mean, there were a lot of young players who established themselves such as Elijah Moore, Michael Carter, um, offensively Elijah Vera Tucker as well on the offensive line. Um, 
So they definitely got to see a little bit who their core pieces were, what the biggest issues on the roster were, uh, and were able to sort of move forward with that information to start this rebuild. And they sort of centered their offseason around what they were able to learn in that first year, figuring out what they need to what they needed to improve and uh, which players they could rely upon to be their centerpieces. And a lot of those holes were on defense where they allowed the most points in a season in the history of the team. Um, so it was a rough season defensively, and they really did focus on improving that unit this offseason. So um, a lot more downs and ups in that first season for sure, but it, it did in the end feel like a step in the right direction, which, which wasn't hard to do after they won two games the previous year. But um, but they still, I think, the youth really showed that uh, they sh- they saw that they had some young people still there. Yeah, so I mean, it was, um, you know, for, like vin- wins and losses. Was it about what you guys were expecting last year? I mean, does with the way you describe with the, the the way that injuries plagued the team, four wins almost sounds like a blessing. You know, at, you know the way that you're kind of talking about it there. Yeah, I think going in that again, expectations are realistic. I don't think anyone was looking at playoffs or anything, but um, it's probably a little bit less than what was expected. I would say six is about the number that was probably the most realistic prediction most people had. Um, and then with, you know, like I mentioned, a few guys already, Marcus Joyner, starting safety, Carl Lawson, the big-time edge rusher they signed, Makai Beckton, potential franchise left tackle. All three of those guys missed essentially the entire season. Um, uh, Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, Michael Carter, a couple of receivers and the running back. So it was a rough season for injuries. And I would say that they're probably – like I said earlier, maybe a win or two more talented than their final win total showed because of those injuries. That at the end of the day, still your tackles on. It's still a five or six win team, so uh, they're definitely even with the injuries, still quite a few holes in the team that needed to be filled. But uh, but the injuries played a big part of it, and it made it rougher for Wilson getting you know getting comfortable in his first season. Um, but with Wilson in, in relation to the injuries, what I think is really interesting is that. In the beginning of the season, they were they were healthier at the start of the year than the end of the year, mm-hmm. and that's when he was struggling. When he did have all his receivers available for most of his games, but when he had his improved second half of the year, um, many of his best games were with no Elijah Moore, with no Corey Davis, sometimes no Michael Carter. Um, a few of his starting offensive linemen missed some games down the stretch, um, so he played his best football when the injuries were really starting to mount and the team was at its least healthy. So I think that is a, a promising aspect of the way he finished the year. Yeah. Promising in the way that he probably wasn't thinking about it as much like, Oh, there's Davis. I got to throw the ball to Davis or I got to get it right. Uh, right. to Elijah Moore, you know, instead of it's like that guy's open, I'll throw it to him uh, kind of thing where he's just out there playing football as opposed to trying to think like, okay, well on this play, so-and-so is going to cut across the middle. He's the primary receiver. I got to hit him instead of reading the defense and taking what it gives you. Yeah, I think that was definitely a huge part of it. There was early in the season, I would definitely say a little bit of forcing to Corey Davis, who, you know, obviously the veteran of the group signed a big free agent contract in the off season. Uh, There was, a little definitely some forcing to Davis going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then later in the season, when, like you said, I think he definitely kind of started to spread the ball out a little bit more. He got some chemistry going with Braxton Barrios, who they re signed this offseason. Um, and then, you know, they just had a lot of, you know, lower bottom of the roster guys rotating in there. And he really did 
start to go through his reads better and just spread the ball around. And, um, you know, it still wasn't great talent and that held the, held the offense back. There were a lot of drops. It wasn't great separation. Um, but ultimately, it did really give Wilson an opportunity to show that he could, you know, lift up the team a little bit. And he helped them compete in spots where they didn't really have as much business competing, such as the Buccaneers game. Right. Uh, in the second to last game of the season, um, you know, they took them down to the wire very much. Should have won that game. They were 20 seconds away from winning it. Um, and in that game, I mean, the top receivers are Braxton Berrios, Keelan Cole, um, Brian Griffin at tight end. They're, Michael Carter got injured early in that game. So they had injuries on O-line as well. Uh, but it was just Wilson playing great football, making accurate passes, going through his reads efficiently, um, car- essentially carrying the offense through that game and making the teams competitive. So uh, it was, I, I wouldn't say a blessing in disguise, because of course you'd rather have your guys out there, but it did give Wilson an opportunity to really show some growth and give provide some glimpses of the franchise quarterback potential that made him the second overall pick. Right. So we head into the into the off season, and you said that you know they they the season itself kind of informed how they wanted to to plan out and attack uh, the off season. So they go out and they get Lincoln Tomlinson from the Forty ers uh, DJ Reed, the safety from Seattle, they signed him as well. CJ Azuma from the uh, from the Bengals. I know the Bengals are real sad to see him uh, go. I mean, granted, he got hurt and wasn't able to play much in the Super Bowl, if at all. But uh, you know he was an important piece that got them uh, to the to the champion or to the Super Bowl. Uh, signed another tight end in, in Tyler Conklin uh, and and Greg Zerline added him uh, as a kicker. See if he still got any tread on the tires as far as uh, putting him through the uprights. He's one of the at one point one of the league's best. Yeah, definitely offensively they improved the supporting cast quite a bit, and they weren't able to get that um, home run swing superstar that I think. A lot of fans were targeting, you know, which would have been nice, like a Debo Samuel, Amari Cooper. Well, like they that. tried. They yeah. were the they were they the tried. other team yeah. in the Tyreek Hill uh, and Tyreek uh, Hill. Yeah. Um, so they yeah. they definitely put that effort in, but um, but I think ultimately what you ended up with is a flurry of moves, a lot of holes plugged, rather than the one splash move. And I think it makes for a healthier roster construction, and and we'll see if it works out because you know at the end of the day, Tyreek Hill, any of these guys, pick your name would be amazing for Wilson to have going into the second year, but um, you can still look at the roster, the way things played out, and, you know, the offensive line with Tomlinson now really looks complete with all five starters, health provided. Um, right. Could be a very solid right. unit. Um, then the two tight ends they added, um, you know, this is an offense that wants to run a lot of two tight end sets, like the 49ers did under Michael Floor, the offensive coordinator. Um you know, while Michael Ford is a passing game coordinator with the 49ers, and he's trying to bring over a lot of those same principles. Couldn't really do it last year without uh, with the lack of tight end talent. Uh, but now you bring in these two guys, and you're really, you know, you've got a couple of guys you can rely upon. And you could, before it's going to be able to run the offense the way that he wants to uh, with those two tight ends. Um, defensively, they made some additions. DJ Reed at corner, Jordan Whitehead at safety. Um, to help out a secondary that was uh, that struggled a lot last season and had a lot of youth and sort of lack uh, experience. So, um, so yeah, both sides. I feel like they didn't, even if they couldn't land that you know superstar splash on either side of the ball. I think they were able to plug a lot of holes and really, uh, I think it strengthens strengthens the depth 
more across the roster. The fact that they're able to plug all these holes and the roster has, uh, you know, I think there were, there were guys who were starting last year who are going to be second, third string players now. Um, you know, such as Bryce Hall, their cornerback last season, who a lot of people thought had a very good year and he did have a solid season. He was one of the leaders in pass deflections among corners. Um, but now you add DJ Reed, you add Sauce Gardner in the draft, and now Hall is going to be their third corner. So uh, I think the way that they approach the construction of the roster with, you know, sort of spreading out the cap space and the assets instead of focusing them, fo- focusing all of them on, you know, bigger splashes has allowed them to plug a lot of holes and create some good depth. All right. And so when, when, when it comes to free agent losses, um, um, Foley, Fadokasi? Fadokasi? Yeah, Fadokasi. Defensive tackle from Jacksonville. Now, it was <laughs> with the way Jacksonville spent money, you couldn't tell if he was being paid his market value or if he was just being paid to come to Jacksonville. So can you tell me about about him? Is, was, he, was he worth the money he got from Jacksonville, or did they overpay to make sure that somebody wanted to actually play in Jacksonville? Well, you raise a good point because the Jaguars definitely threw a lot of money around. There, there are a lot of exuberant contracts out there that were signed this offseason. But I, I will say, I do think Fadakasi is probably the best value they got. And, and I know it, at first glance, it appears like a lot of money for a defensive tackle who's not super well known around the league. But I think um, he is potentially worth that money with his abilities against the run. Um, so the previous two years, 2019 to 20, uh, when he's playing in sort of a hybrid defensive scheme under Greg Williams, a lot of 3-4 and 4-3, um, but being a humongous, powerful run stuffer, who also has some athleticism, he's mostly playing in you know 3-4 country because he was going to have to eat up space. He was amazing in that scheme. He was, I think, the number two graded run uh, stopping defensive tackle at Pro Football Focus in 2020, and number one the previous year, he was way up there both seasons. Um, this year's production went down a little bit to suggest switch to a 4-3, you know, which requires more athleticism, penetration, pass rushing. Uh, not as great of a fit for his skill set. So I think it made sense for the Jets to let him go, but the Jaguars are going to be playing a scheme that is more similar to what Fadokasi was driving in with Greg Williams. He's going to get a chance to play with strength. So I think it's going to be a good signing for the Jaguars, but at the same time, I think it's made sense for the Jets to, to let him go because I don't think it was the best team fit. Now, they didn't do the best job of replacing him. They haven't really done anything to replace uh, replace him with his exit, and stopping run was a huge issue for the Jets last year. So that's one of the main criticisms of their offense, uh, of their offseason, is the, uh, the lack of additions in the trenches in terms of run defense. So that could be a big issue again this year. Um, but I, I do think Fadokasi on his contract wasn't wasn't going to be a great fit for the Jets considering his lack of scheme compatibility. So with Salah coming over to the Jets, I mean, did he is he more of a CEO kind of coach where he let his defensive coordinator run his scheme because you he ran a three four in San Francisco, so you figured that's what they'd be doing in in New York as well. Yeah, he he's definitely been more of a CEO type of head coach, which is good. I think that's something the Jets needed because most of the majority of the recent coaches have been basically one side of the ball head coaches, you know, right. Adam Gates on offense, um, Bowles, Rex, 
Eric Mangini, all defenses. Um, you know, those guys were hired for their specialty on one side of the ball. And, you know, Powell earned that too, his defensive abilities. But he definitely has more of, you know, leader of the room, has a, you know, personality traits, especially compared to some of those guys. So um, that's mainly what he's done. I think he does have a, a good, a decent contribution to the defense. But Jeff Ulbricht, the defensive coordinator, seems to be mostly in charge of that. He came over from Atlanta. Um, it's, so, yeah, it seems like Ulbricht's mostly in charge. But uh, I think Sal has a little bit, for the most part, though, he's, he's there to lead the room, which is something that I, I think was a good decision for the team, considering some of the struggles they've had the past few seasons, off-the-field drama, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, he, and he's done a good job of it, all that. Uh, there's not been a ton of drama with the team since he came in. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a more, it's felt more professionally run since he's been in there. So he's been mostly serving that CEO role, and so far it's been uh, pretty good. I'm looking forward to that because that is what uh, Iberflus is um, is going to be doing uh, as our head right. coach, um, being more of the CEO, you know, kind of running the – coaching the coaches, if you will, and, and letting uh, Luke Getze, you know, install his offense and run his offense the way he sees fit. And even though he was an outstanding defensive coordinator for the Colts – um, you know, Williams, our new defensive coordinator, is going to be the one calling the plays uh, out there uh, as well. I mean, and this is after, you know, four years of, of Nagy uh, calling plays. And then, you know, before him was uh, was Tressman, and, or excuse me, it was John Fox, who was more of a CEO type. But he was more like um, probably should have retired after the Dol- after the Broncos thing right. fell through. Like the game, it kind of passed him by by the time he came to Chicago. And then before him was Tressman, who was calling his own plays uh, on offense, was a terrible game manager and, uh, you know, things like that. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how that's going to work with Chicago. It was like early results, you know, seems like we're on the right track. Things are looking uh, good, but it's, you know, it's June. So <laughs> how, how effective exactly. that is, yeah. you know, we'll have to wait till we get into September and October and whatnot to see if that's actually going to uh, – work uh for this regime so looking at the rest of your free agent losses you let marcus may go he's off to new orleans uh morgan moses who the bears were after uh until we decided to uh pull um oh what was his name jason peters off his fishing boat uh to come and save our offensive line uh for a while uh but he ended up staying with the jets because we wanted moses to play left tackle for some reason and he wanted to stay at right or was he a left tackle that wanted to play? What what was his play for you guys? He was at right tackle. Right tackle. Okay, so he wanted to stay at right tackle. The Bears wanted him to be at left, and that's why he didn't sign with Chicago. But um, Ryan Griffin, who did sign with the Bears, so I'm going to ask you about him here in a minute. Uh, Jamison Crowder is off to Buffalo, so he stays in division to torture you guys uh, twice a year. And then Keelan Cole, who you mentioned before, he's off to Las Vegas. So any, anybody on that list that you're going to miss especially? Um, I think Moses is an interesting one from a depth perspective because, um, I mean, he, he ended up starting pretty much all of last season, but that was in relief of Beckton, who suffered what amounted to a season-ending injury in the first game of the year. Um, so to have that security blanket was uh, is definitely a nice luxury because he still wasn't great, but he was much better than I think you would expect most back of tackles to be and so it was good for the Jets to have a guy who was a long time long time starter in Washington and the solid one at that 
um, to be able to come in when they had that disastrous start to the season with Beckton. Uh, now they don't really have that. They really haven't been able to find a guy who could bring that same security. So uh, if they do suffer an injury tackle, it's going to be a little bit harder to deal with now. So that's a pretty big loss um, in terms of the depth. And then Marcus May is an interesting one. He was earlier in his, his career, I think, one of the better deep safeties in the game, but sort of started to suffer some injuries. There were some off-field questions. I think there was a DUI that he didn't report. There were bad contract negotiations with the team. Um, so that relationship sort of soured. Never seemed like he was going to come back, and he didn't play all that well last year. Um, but a talented player who can be very good when everything's clicking. Um, and I guess I'll talk about Ryan Griffin a little bit since uh, Chicago picked him up. Um, I, I think if you keep your expectations pretty low, he can be a good uh, a player who contributes in his role. I don't think he's a difference-making starting tight end, but mm-hmm. um, his, his blocking is his blocking is interesting because it's very hit or miss. There will be games where you know he'll just he's whiffing on his run block, he gives up pressure, and you know he doesn't look confident. But there are some moments here and there where he will make some great blocks. So I think his blocking kind of averages out. Um, then as a receiver, the last couple of years he didn't do too much. He had some drops. He didn't really separate much. But in 2019, when he first came to the Jets, he did have quite a bit of production in a short amount of time. I think he had five touchdowns in about half a season after coming over. Um, so, and, and earlier in his career, before he did have the injuries the past couple of years, he did he was a pretty solid route runner. Um, so there is some talent in the passing game if he could sort of rediscover that. I know he's older now. Um, has had some injuries, but uh, he has shown that in the past. So um, I wouldn't have to keep my expectations too high, but uh, in his role, I think he could be uh, a, a respectable, you know, second tight end. Like he'll, he'll, he will be second or third tight end, um, which is what the Bears will likely ask him to be. Yeah, I, I wonder, you know, what uh, what he might, what the Bears might be after uh, with him because it's not as comical as it was going into 2019, where we had nine or ten tight ends on the roster going into training camp, but uh, we have signed at least three or so tight ends uh, over the off season. So I, I wonder if he'll a make the team and if he does what his role uh, will be. Did the bears bring him in to be a goal line blocking kind of guy or short yardage tight end kind of thing? I'm, I'm interested to see what, uh, what role he end up playing in, in Chicago. If he in fact has one. Yeah. I mean, for the Jets, he was uh, the Jets because of their lack of talent at tight end had him as pretty much the starting tight end. And I think he was mixed best in that role the past couple of years. Um, just not consistent enough with the blockers um, and separation as a receiver and also drops to handle a big role. But in, with smaller staff, I think he can be useful, especially near the goal line. I think there is some potential with him. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think the smaller the role, the better. But there, are, there is some skills he can bring to the table. Yeah, and I, and I wonder, you know, if maybe some of these guys are being brought in because they're veterans and uh, and what because we signed O'Shaughnessy from Jacksonville. Um, he's a local guy. I think Ryan Griffin is from the Chicagoland area or went to school somewhere close or something uh, like that. They all seem to have ties to Chicago one way uh, or the other, and uh, this will be our first season where Cole Komet is kind of flying without a net 
because the his first two seasons he had Jimmy Graham in front of him and then last year mentoring him. Um, and that's no longer the case. So uh, we'll see what uh, what what uh, what he does now that he's the man, no matter what, uh, going into this uh, season. So <laughs> this episode of the Bear Stock Underground is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or in social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in sportsdrink. Spelled like sportsdrink, but without the vowels. So S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let out the funk. (laughs) Now, let's get to draft for the draft for the Jets because... I kind of have mixed feelings about it. I mean, as far as like the talent that you guys walked away with, I'm very impressed with what the Jets uh, did. But the fact that it's like the the way that they got so trade happy uh, over it that their picks ended in the fourth round, like they didn't, they just you know were, were making so many moves. They basically they almost didn't have picks on day three. How how did you how did you feel about that? Because there was a lot of maneuvering going around. You know, your, your first pick with Sauce Gardner at number four, that was your original draft pick. Your second pick at number 10, Garrett Wilson, the wide receiver out of Ohio State, that was part of the Jamal Adams trade. So that was your other second rounder. And then you move into the back half of the first round uh, to get Jermaine Johnson out of uh, Florida State. But you gave up a second, swapped third rounders, and gave up a fourth to make that, to, to trade back into uh, the the first round to to get Johnson. So I mean, and it was very similar with the with the bright with the Brees Hall uh, trade in the second round. You gave up third and fifth round picks uh, to to move up and and to move up two spots to get him at thirty six. So, I mean, a lot of maneuvering uh, from from the Jets. I mean, when they probably could have drafted more. I mean, was this looked as more like a quality over quantity type thing? Because I think you had a lot more picks to work with than you ended up actually using uh, on draft day. Yeah, I think like you said, they sort of took a quality over quantity approach, which which definitely has its risks. Because, sure. You know, yeah. they they ended up using, you know, far fewer picks than they started the draft with. Um, so I, I, there's definitely some risks associated with it. Fewer shots at the dartboard. But um, I think it, the case for why it made sense is they did draft 10 players last year, and it, it is a class that looks pretty solid. Most of those players played quite frequently when they were healthy and seemed to all have their roster spots secured going into this year. Um, so they did already have, they do already have a lot of guys on rookie deals who they'll potentially have to pay in the near future. So it, it did kind of, because they already were able to restock the youth sort of with that draft last year, picking 10 players who all contributed and look to be contributors. So it, it did kind of make sense to sort of take all right, we already have the surplus of young players, and we have surplus of picks again this year. Um, so why not just go and get the guys that we want and sacrifice some picks? So I think that would be the case for it. Um, but there's definitely some risk associated with it, especially, I think, because um, initially they were going to make two high second-round picks and uh, two, two third-round picks. Um, and then they ended up, of course, going back into the first, moving up a little bit in the second. Um, but then only had a late third round pick uh, and then nothing after the early fourth. So 
Uh, definitely fewer shots at the dartboard, and they need these early picks to, to pan out and be worth you know, sacrificing some of the value that they did. But I, I think they're able to plug a lot of holes with immediate contributors by doing this um, with the Jermaine Johnson pick. I think that was a trade that really all Death fans are kind of clamoring for it. And then they went out and did it. Um, he's in discussion with a 10th pick. There were some rumors even for the 4th pick. That seemed a little bit unlikely, but 10th pick he was definitely in play. So for him to fall all the way down to uh, the mid-20s, uh, it was an enticing opportunity, and obviously the Jets felt the same way. Um, the brief all pick is definitely um, it's high ceiling, but there also is a lot of risk there because you know whenever you take a running back high in the draft like that, um, even in the second round, I think you got to get a lot out of them for it to be worth it because it is a position that is fairly replaceable, I guess I would say, compared to other positions. Yeah, you can find it in the later rounds of the draft. Um, probably more easily than most other positions. So um, he's got to be great. And I think for the Jets to make that trade, uh, to move up a couple spots to go get him, uh, shows that they're confident he will be that. And I think you look at his measurables and his production and all that stuff, and he, he does compare to guys like, um, you know, uh, Jonathan Taylor, mm-hmm. uh, guys on that caliber. Um, Reggie Bush is another guy production-wise he's similar to. Edron James from the Colts. So he is sort of in that caliber. The Jets believe he can be that good. And if he is that, um, then I think he could be worth it, especially for a team that wants to run the ball a lot and establish uh, their play-action game off of that. Um, so it, it just, it's a high-standard pick. If he's just average or pretty good, then probably not worth taking him that high and trading up to do it. But, uh, but if he can be that superstar kind of player, like he does have the potential to be, uh, then I think it can work out. Yeah, it's a it's a mixed bag with running backs in the draft, you know, and it's been that way for for a while now. I mean, it's it's not like it's a devalued position in the NFL, but it's definitely a devalued position in the draft because you're talking to a guy who's in love with a team where you know our our current running back is a late third round pick. His backup was a sixth round pick who was awesome. Last year, the guy that he replaced, that those two guys replaced, was Jordan Howard, who was a fifth-round pick for the Bears. Right. And we, we just parted ways, unfortunately, with uh, with Tariq Cohen, also a day-three pick uh, in the fourth round. So, I mean, this is, a t- this is a team that, you know, this is the Chicago Bears. This is the franchise of Walter Payton and Gail Sayers and, you know, Matt Forte. And we're, we're finding our running backs in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round not – you know, Walter Payton was the number four overall pick in his draft. Uh, you know, Gail Sayers was the third pick in the in, in his draft. You know, way back in the day, back when running the football was was the was the way that that things happened, and so running backs were of the you know were premium uh, picks back in the day. Uh, it's a completely different you know monster when it comes to drafting uh, running backs uh, as well in, in in this era of the NFL. Like I said, it's not a devalued position in the league, but it certainly is, you know, devalued in the way that GMs know that they don't have to pick Christian McCaffrey uh, eighth overall when they can find Alvin Kamara in the third round. So, you know, it's definitely one where, where you're going to get more pause at that position uh, in those premium spots than, uh, than you will on day two, day three, where, you know, running backs just come flying off the board. Yeah, for sure. And that's, 
you know, like I said, that's why I think the standards are much higher because especially like, like you said, like but the bears are a perfect example of how they just cycled through so much good running back talent without having to spend premium picks on it. Um, and the Jets are a team that had a lot of holes. They could have added that safety defensive tackle there, a few other positions. And if all doesn't work out, I think we'll look back on the guys. Some of the guys that they passed on in that spot, like Jalen Petre, the safety from Baylor, who went a couple picks later. Um, but I think, I think they saw him as the best player available regardless of position and just thought that, um, he has that potential to be, um, game-changing type of running back. So it, if he can be that, I think it, it can justify the pick. Um, but like I said, standards, it just raises the standards, I think, sure. for running back compared to any other position. Like, you know, you draft a safety high second round, and he's, you know, a pretty good starter for you for a long time. I think that's a really nice pick that anybody would be happy with. But when you trade up to get a running back in the high second round as a four-win team, then a pretty good running back, you know, versus, a, say, an average safety, you know, maybe the you know you take this decent starter at a position that might be seen as more valuable or harder to get. Sure. Um. So uh, I still like to pick though because I do think that he has that ability to be a top five to ten running back just based on his measurables and his production. Some of the guys he's compared to in those arenas, um, he he really is in that sort of class. So I think. He does have a good chance to see that. And if he can, then I think it'll be a pick that's looked back on fondly. And, and most Jets fans are huge fans of it. I'm, I'm probably a little bit more skeptical than most. But um, for the most part, I think fans are on board with it. And the team seemed ecstatic, ecstatic with, with it, I think. Uh, they were even talking about, now this I would probably not support, but they were talking about even they're discussing trading up in the, into the first round to get him. Um, that would, I think, be a little bit much, but I do think it kind of shows how confident they are in the players. Well, to tell you, um, I was watching the draft with the on the NFL uh, network, and Daniel Jeremiah, who's their new Mike Mayock, uh, I wonder if he'll be coming back now that he's done with the Raiders. But, um, you know, he was in love with what the Jets were doing because he was like, well, the, you know, he uh, Sauce Gardner was his number one corner. Uh, Garrett Wilson, I think, was his like one A receiver, and you guys nailed him at number ten. And he, for, from like pick ten all the way down to you guys actually taking him at twenty six, he kept talking about Jermaine Johnson. It's his like ninth player on the board. He's still available at twenty two. He's still available here at twenty four. You know, and all that kind of stuff. And when he finally comes off the board, when you guys trade back into the first round to get him, and then with the Brees Hall pick. In the second round, he's like, they got my number one corner. The you know, I think Wilson was his favorite receiver, if not like one A. And he loved Jermaine Johnson, and he got the you guys got the best running back on the board as far as he was concerned. So as far as Dar- you know, Daniel Jeremiah was concerned, his pre-draft evaluations were the Jets knocked it out of the park. Yeah, and it really was a widely praised draft around around the internet. I think. Uh, their consensus rating was, I believe, tied with the Ravens for number one in the league. So obviously that doesn't guarantee anything. But um, but it's still nice to see from a team that is usually universally panned for whatever it does. Um, but but we'll see if it actually it actually plays out. They have had some off seasons where they've been praised for what they've done, and it hasn't worked out. But but this definitely feels like a a different level 
of universal praise, almost too much, almost to the point where <laughs> you prefer for them to just fly under the radar a little bit more, sort sure. of like the Bengals did last year. Um, but uh, but they've definitely been getting a lot of national praise, which is not usual. So we go into year number two, A, of the Robert Sala era, and B, of the Zach Wilson uh, era. Now, is it is there hope for a big leap in year two, or is there an expectation of a big leap in year number two with the, you know, it's, it's year two with, with Wilson year two in the system year two with Sala and, you know, the additions and everybody's coming back healthy or, you know, healthy enough to come in and, and play. You guys had an outstanding draft, everyone thinks, and so on and so forth. Is there a hope for a big leap or is there an expectation of one? I think there's definitely expectations to a certain point. I think, for the most part, the fan base and the media and, and everyone in general sort of have realistic expectations to where, look, we understand this is a crowded AFC with a lot of contenders in it. Uh, the Jets' schedule is, um, I, it has a softer second half to start the year. They do face some tough teams. Uh, they're playing in a tough division that had three winning teams last year. Um, so I think most of us understand, like, look, four wins last year, two the year before that crowded conference, we're not looking to be this year's Bengals. That was an outlier. It doesn't happen a lot. It's mm-hmm. baby steps towards the top. But at the same time, they spend a lot of money this offseason. They plug a lot of holes. They made these aggressive straight-up moves in the draft. They have this second overall pick quarterback who they want to be their franchise quarterback. Um, there are expectations for a leap, for sure. I think in terms of the win-loss record, probably seven, eight wins is where most of us would probably like to see the team being. Um, and then in terms of Wilson, I think. Right. Um, I think we're hoping for this to be the middle stage in his development. So the first leap out of two will probably come in the third year, sort of on that Josh Allen trajectory. And I know he's, you know, sort of an outlier, but um, we're not looking for him to be a star this year. I think we're looking for him to be a league average quarterback. And I, that would be huge progress over last year and set the table for him to take another big jump in year three. So there are definitely expectations for sizable progress. But at the same time, I don't think anyone's expecting Wilson to be a superstar right now, nor are they expecting this team to be a playoff team just yet. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's um, what I, what I was meaning as far as like, I'm not, I'm not thinking that you're going to go from four wins to 12 and make a run at right. the AFC crown. Uh, I mean, you know, you made a great point about how crowded the AFC is, and it got even more crowded this year during the offseason with Russell Wilson right. going to Denver and, you know, and all the other moves that were made with the quarterback position, Matt Ryan going to Indianapolis and, uh, and whatnot. It's like it was, it was getting tough to begin with. Now the AFC West is just a gauntlet of great quarterbacks. And then, you, you know, you add Matt Ryan to Indianapolis. You got year two of, uh, of Trevor um, Lawrence in, in Jacksonville and, and, you know, Josh Allen just seems to be getting better each season, and Tua in Miami. What's going to happen with him and uh, and everything else? So, you know, it is definitely a crowded uh, situation going on uh, in the AFC. So only so much can be expected. But um, you know, it's uh, you know, I was like just wondering, you know, because it's because at the same time, Fortune's got to change at some point. Right. I mean, it's right. kind of like the Bears with the Jets. There have been a lot more bad years than good uh, over the last chunk of time. So it's like at some point, 
you got to be able to string a few of these seasons together, right? I mean, the right moves have to be coming along at some point. I mean, you know, it can't just be the, you know, the incompetent team in the AFC East every single uh, every single year and, you know, busting this draft pick and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Fortune's got to change at some point. And it just, it does feel like the Jets might be on the right track with the, with the moves that they made this offseason, building on what they did uh, last season, you know, and with Sala uh, as well being the head coach, seemed like he was a, you know, a, a good choice to, uh, to come into New York uh, uh, as well. Like, you know, like I said, the, the fortune has to change at some point. Yeah. And, um, you know, like you said, it's, we're keeping our expectations tempered, but there really has to come a point where it's like, all right, this is an NFL team as well. We don't have to bow down to every single other team. Right. We can compete in these games and we could you know, shoot for the playoffs and try and win a Super Bowl just like every other team can. And it seems like they're getting closer to that point. Um, it, it just feels like the organization has a plan, has competent leadership, um, and that the roster is after years of, um, sort of correcting the failures of previous general managers. Um, Joe Douglas, current general manager, has been able to you know, sort of accumulate assets, accumulate youth, and build a talented team. So we'll see if this is the year where it all starts to come together. All right, so let's run through the schedule real quick. Um, apparently the NFL was uh, not feeling very original for the first month of the season for the uh, Jets because they played the entire AFC North. Uh, the first four games, home for Baltimore at Cleveland, home for the Bengals at Pittsburgh. Those are the first four games. So, well, you know, it's like the Bears are playing the AFC East and the NFC East, but we're not playing them all in a row uh, like you guys are playing yeah. uh, the, you know, you're the AFC North and the NFC North this year, uh, and you're getting all four AFC North teams right off the bat. So it's, uh, you know, you, you, the Ravens and, you know, Cleveland, who knows what they're going to be. This year, then you got the champs coming in. At least that's a home game again for you guys. And then Pittsburgh, um, a lot of question marks in that division, but also a lot of good football teams in that division. Yeah, it's an unusual quirk. I've never really seen anything like that consecutively. Um, but uh, this, this is going to tell us a lot about the teams. I think um, cause this is a you know, regardless of how these teams play out. You know, the AC North is always a physical, tough kind of division. Um, just with the style of football that they play. So um, a lot of potential, a lot of downside with these teams. So if it's Cleveland, what's going to happen at quarterback with Lawson? Um, will the Bengals be even better than last season, or will they be the same? Because the Jets did beat the Bengals last year. Yes, they did. With Mike White. Um, the Steelers, which direction are they trending? Quarterback questions as well. Um, so this division might not be a super terrifying division, but it also could be. So, um It'll be interesting to see, but either way, these are physical, established teams, I feel like, over the past few years. So, um, at least you get two of them at home. I think if, you, if the Jets can come out of that first, if those first four games with a split, um, come out of, the, come out of that two and two, then I think they're in a good spot to really, um, potentially have a surprising season. Um, but, uh, worse than that, you know, then we'll see what happens. But if they can split those first four, it'd be a problem. Yeah, I've I've seen it happen to the Bears a couple of times where they played an entire division in a row. As a matter of fact, the last time that we spoke back in 2018, I think you guys were number you might have been 4 out of 4 actually because we played the entire NFC AFC East in consecutive weeks. It was like it was wow. like we had Miami, then New England, then Buffalo and then you guys at, at home in Chicago to kind of 
wrap up the string. I've seen it in the middle of the season before. Uh, I've actually seen it happen to the Bears twice. They did it once with you guys in 2018 in the AFC East, and then in like 2011 or something like that, we had all four AFC West teams uh, right in the middle of the schedule as well. So it's not as big an anomaly. I've seen it happen a few times before. I've never seen an entire division start off a team's schedule uh, like this. So this is definitely a first uh, as far as like the placement uh, of where you're playing all four of these teams. That is definitely one of those schedules because they have some kind of like randomizer where the, the some computer program spits it out. That was definitely, you know, one of the freak schedules that, uh, that came out when it, uh, when it came along. But, um, you know, like we said, a lot of question marks with the AFC North. It's it's traditionally a very tough division, but how will Baltimore bounce back from the way they kind of faded there at the end? You know, will Lamar be able to to bounce back to what he was before? Who's going to be playing quarterback for the Browns? I mean, is is Deshaun going to be serving suspension at that point? Will they still have Baker Mayfield? Will it be um, who do they have? Is there J- J- Jacoby Brissett? Uh, is yep. the you know who they also have? Who's going to be the quarterback? For them, and how will the team be responding to that? Then, with Cincinnati, like you said, it's it's. I think it's good you're catching them at the beginning of the season while they're still trying to figure out: Are they going to be the defending AFC champions, or are they going to be the Bengals again? You know, as are they going to be able to to stack up a, a couple of these years together? Will the pressure be too much? And then the Bengals, or excuse me, the Steelers. Quarterback question marks there. You know, kind of feels like the Steelers are fading in that division as well, or at least it's time for them to have a low point uh, or, or what have you, or are they just going to bounce right back with uh, with Kenny Pickett or Trubisky or whatever they got going on, and Tomlin and the Steelers just keep plugging along. So, like I said, a lot of question marks, and I think the timing for you guys is good while these teams are still trying to figure themselves out, and the Jets actually, out of all four of these teams, have a better understanding who of who they might be better than some of these teams do. Right. Yeah, it's definitely a good point to, to catch those teams, especially Cleveland with the potential Watson suspension. Right. So moving on, uh, week number five, you're home for the Dolphins. First uh, divisional matchup for you guys, but five AFC games right off the bat. There's not a lot of room for error there at the beginning of the schedule uh, for you guys. Then you're at Green Bay, so your first NFC matchup, and the rest of the NFC North does not follow after that, so, I mean, not immediately uh, anyway. Then you're at Denver, home for the Patriots, home for the Bills, and then you got a Week 10 bye, so right there in the middle of the season, a nice little median uh, bye week. Uh, the Bears have to wait till Week 14 uh, to get our, our, our break. So Week 10 seems like a real good spot for a bye. Yeah, it definitely is. A, it's a tough first half. And, and look, we don't know how good all these teams are going to be Injuries happen, teams improve, they decline. But uh, you got all, you got three division games. You got to go to Green Bay. I got to go to Denver. Those are going to be tough games. So um, I think for the most part, fans are just hoping for the team to sort of tread water into that week 10 bye. And, and if they could be four and five at that point, then maybe they have room to make a surprising run down the stretch. Because I think that's something that the Jets have struggled to do in recent years is mm-hmm. sort of stay in the playoff picture late in the season. They've had some improved second halves of the year. Uh, like in 2019, they finished 62, uh, but they were one and seven before that. So right. none of those wins, none of those wins really felt like they mattered that much. Um, so if they could just yeah, stay competitive throughout the year, stay in that race in, in, in competition for a playoff spot, I think it 
will be promising. So I think we're just hoping to see them uh, sort of steal a couple, maybe steal a road game, uh, protect home field, take three of those, and uh, that could be a good first nine weeks. Right. So then to finish off, you're you're at New England, uh, home for the Bears. And so you and I are going to have to figure out how to talk to each other to preview this game around the Thanksgiving holiday, which is going to be interesting. Um then you're at Minnesota, at Buffalo, home for the Lions. Your one and only primetime matchup is a home game against the Jaguars uh, in late December. And then you're at Seattle, at Miami to finish off the year. So you're right. The second half of the schedule does ease up a little bit more. You got the Lions in there. You got the Jaguars. Um, you know, you get to see who the Bears are week number 12. Um, the Vikings, I'm not very really high on the Vikings. I don't know why everybody else seems to be. But uh, I'm not high on them. So there's some very winnable games in there. The you know the trip to the West Coast might be rough, but Seattle's a team that's not playing very well, or at least not has hasn't the last couple of uh, seasons. And then you know you got divisional matchups with uh, you know some familiar squads in Miami and Buffalo uh, and such. So the second half of the schedule does ease up for you guys. Yeah, it definitely gives an opportunity to you know, if they can have that sort of first half where they compete and they keep themselves in that picture. Maybe this young team sort of hits its stride in that second half. And again, like in the same way, you don't want to assume that teams are going to be difficult. You also don't want to assume they're going to be easy. You know, teams such as Chicago, who's in a similar spot to the Jets, hoping to take a leap. Mm -hmm. Um, Detroit, also an up and coming team. Um, Minnesota is, so we'll see where, where on the spectrum they land. Um, But still on paper, it does look like a less, daunting part of the schedule compared to the first half in terms of even just as simple as how proven the quarterbacks are. Right. It definitely is uh, less likely to be difficult than the first half. So it, it, it's an opportunity for them to, to finish strong. So it just comes down to can they stay alive in that free by stretch and then come out of it and hopefully make a run. All right. Last thing I wanted to, to, to ask you about before I let you go was um, at the end of the 2020 season, um, you guys pull a win out of your ass against the Rams for some reason, yeah. ruining your chance to have the number one overall uh, pick and go for Trevor Lawrence. Was was that a day where we had to hide the razor blades for you from you, or you know, or was it like okay, we're number two, or at least still going to get a decent quarterback out of this? I mean, how were you feeling about the them ex- inexplicably beating the Rams in L.A. Uh, out of nowhere? No, it was devastating at that point. I'll be completely honest, but both for myself and I think most Jets fans were, were pretty devastated with that. I think we were all on board with tanking at that point. And <laughs> yeah. all, the, all those Lawrence jerseys were ordered, the photoshops were made. It was written, it was going to happen. But uh, right. so I think it was, I think, I think we quickly rationalized and I think it's at least good that it was a class where you could fall to number two and there would still be a viable quarterback, whether it was Wilson, whether it was Justin Fields, even Trey Lance in that mix. Um, yeah. He was a good quarterback yeah. class, so you could at least feel comfortable in that. All right, at least we'll still get a quarterback here. Because I think we all knew that it was time for uh, Sam Darnold, time to move on from him, kind of use that pick to sort of regroup. Um, so it was, it, I think we quickly rationalized it and like, all right, Wilson's our guy. Uh, or, or Fields, it was, it was Wilson versus Fields in the beginning, but it uh, as the off season went on, it became pretty clear that Wilson was the guy. So, yeah, where did uh, where did yeah. you uh, land on that? Because like day one, or yeah. like you know the season ends, 
First mock draft comes out the very next day. It's Lawrence one, Fields two. And then obviously it morphed into, you know, Zach Wilson overtaking that spot. I mean, were, were you always okay with Wilson when it eventually became him, or did you want the Jets to take Fields? Yeah, I was very close on the two. I thought they were pretty similar prospects, I think. Um, I love the potential of both of them. Obviously, very different players, but um, I, I enjoyed both of them and was going to prefer either of them on the Jets. But I do think once the hiring process played out and they settled on Michael Floor as their offensive coordinator, coming from San Francisco, I think Wilson kind of emerged as a better fit for what they were trying to, uh, trying to do offensively, or at least were projecting to potentially do. Um, so once they made that higher, I think it became clear that Wilson was probably the better fit for them. But talent-wise, I do. Uh, I did like both of them. And, and even rookie year, I think they had similar rookie years. Both mm-hmm. showed a lot of potential. So it, it'll be interesting to see how their careers pan out. And hopefully they're both healthy for a, a fun matchup when they meet up later this season. Well, Mike, thanks so much uh, for your time. Really enjoyed uh, having you back on. And, and I look forward to the challenge in uh November as we try to figure out how to get together to preview our week 12 uh, matchup just ahead of the because uh, they, they obviously they play on Sunday after Thanksgiving we got to find a find a way to meet up and chat about this before so I'm sure right. we'll be able to uh, figure it out and look forward to having you back on and uh, where can we keep up with you in the meantime yeah follow, follow me on Twitter at Michael underscore Nania um, you can check out most of my writing at jetsxfactor.com um, to listen to our podcast, Cool Your Jets podcast. And, uh, and yeah, thanks, thanks so much for having me and just keeping me on the list throughout these past four years since our previous matchup. And uh, look forward to hopefully talking again when these teams meet up in the season. All right, Mike Nania helping us preview 2022 New York Jets. As always, I want to thank Mike Nania for coming on to the show. Be sure to check out the Cool Your Jets uh, podcast and follow him on uh, Twitter if you uh, want to keep up with anything that's going on with the Jets, and that's at Michael underscore Nania, N-A-N-I-A, is how you can follow him on the social. So next we move on to the Miami Dolphins, and that'll be Brian Miller from FinFanatic.com uh, uh, from the fan-sided uh, website Finn is P H I N Fanatic is P H A N um, for Finn Fanatic and um, you know that one's already in the books. I actually talked to Brian the other day. It was a fantastic uh, interview. A lot of really great information uh, about the Dolphins and and we talk about Brian Flores and that whole thing and you know uh, Mike McDaniel being like literally the Dolphins were the only team that interviewed him for a head coaching position and, and, and how different he will be and will his offense work and, and all those kinds of very interesting uh, conversation I had with Brian. And then uh, next Tuesday, that'll be Thursday with Brian and the Dolphins. Next Tuesday, Pat Lane from the Pat, Patriot Nation podcast will be joining us to talk about the Patriots. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then Dave Myers from the Built in Buffalo podcast will be joining us to wrap up the AFC East and talk about the defending AFC East champion Buffalo Bills. So there's your map through the AFC East. And then we will get started on the NFC East 
starting with the Giants, then we move to the uh, Commanders, the Eagles, and then the Cowboys before we get to the Lions, the Vikings, and the Packers to wrap up the NFC North. And then finally at the tail end there, as always, Lauren Cox will be joining us for our 2022 preview of our beloved Chicago Bears. So be sure to come back on Thursday for the Dolphins. Uh, Myself and Brian Miller from FinFanatic.com will be having that conversation. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground.